Good evening. Welcome. Let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we do uh, come tonight again, opening up this book that we call uh, Galatians. And as, as Paul speaks, Lord, uh, open our hearts and minds to this. This is, this is a powerful passage we acknowledge, Lord, and one that culminates. It's a culmination of this discussion that's been going on now for five chapters. And it's a passage, Lord, that we acknowledge that speaks wholly and completely to what it means to be followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, often in passages like this, we, we lose focus on the main meaning of what you're trying to say. And we get distracted by things. And Lord, help us just see what you're trying to say. Help us understand the very essence of what it means to be your son, your daughter. In that process, may we understand what it means to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in um, the latter part of chapter 5 tonight. And this is really as, as uh, we've been building through uh, the first four and a half chapters. This is the culmination of all that, and the culmination very much in the way of his discussion in Galatians. And it's, it's one of these passages that when we reread it, uh, historically we, we sometimes get focused on a couple of the things, and, and we see a list which always draws our attention, and we get focused on the list, and we miss what he's actually saying which is phenomenally powerful. In fact, it's the essence, the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, we're going to look at, if you'll open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. This section, we have to remind ourselves, starting with verse 1, which we dealt with last week. We're going to go verse 1, and then start at verse 13, and then carry on through tonight's passage. So he starts chapter 5 with this statement, For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. He's meaning from the law, which is thus sin. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And going down to verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For through love, serve, and we argued that serve one another actually means enslave, offer yourself as a slave to one another. The word doulos is the Greek word. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay? Now, you've probably heard this passage many times, and you may have heard it preached and taught many times. And certainly parts of it used many times in um, different sermons or, or different teachings. And often this is seen as a way of going from the bad list, list of sins, to the good list, fruit of the Spirit. And often it's seen, how do I go from being a person that's doing these things, the bad list, to a person doing these things, the good list? And that is wholly, completely wrong and totally, 100% misses the point that Paul and God is trying to make. I have your attention yet. Okay? The key to this is in verse 16, which is what we're going to say is the theme verse for our passage, but also the verse that summarizes everything we've been saying so far in Galatians. And Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, he just set up in 13, he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not, you will not gratify the flesh. Now, a couple things. Let's define the flesh, okay? It's a tricky word in Paul. It's tricky because he uses the same Greek word, but he uses it in three, potentially four different ways. Okay? The two or three other ways to use it, and I, and I say that it depends on how you define one of them, are all related to um, our physical self. It can literally mean the flesh on our body. Okay? It can mean our, our body as a whole, as in our, our flesh part versus, you know, if we take our, our being and divide it in two, that part which is physical and that part which is not physical. Okay? All those other meanings have to do with our body, this body. The one meaning and the meaning that Paul is using here, and Paul often uses, is the flesh as, as the NIV did in 1984, started calling it the sinful nature, the part of us that is opposed to God. Okay? If you, if you know in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 Paul says that we are walking dead people. We're walking dead people. We're under the wrath of God. We're condemned to hell. We're walking dead people. And there are three things that are opposed to God that are controlling us. Okay? And, and the world, Satan, and the flesh. Or NIV, sinful nature. Okay? Those three things are opposed to God, opposed to his kingdom. One of those things is, resides in us or is a part of us. And it came about 
in the fall, right? Adam and Eve, fall. Again, the word flesh, I always get a little, because people always, it just, that word throws them off, and that's why the NIV translation went to sinful nature. That isn't exactly what the Greek says, but it is easier for some people. That's in us. That came to us as, as a problem or an, a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Okay? So the flesh is that part of us that is opposed to God. That causes us to sin. It's that part that is being redeemed once we come to Christ. But as we understand Paul now, but not fully yet, it will be redeemed, but now, but not fully yet until the day we're glorified. In other words, the day we leave this earth. So that's what flesh means. It's our sinful nature, our propensity to sin, but it's more than just our propensity to sin. It's really that part of us that is opposed to God. Okay? So the result of that flesh is what we're going to see in the coming verses. All right? So if we walk by the Spirit, we cannot gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because, as he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they oppose each other. They are mutually exclusive. God and sin can't be, okay? Now, I've got a series of quotes, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing them in for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes they just help us understand what's being said, and, and I... I felt like I needed to bring some reinforcements. Not that you don't believe me, but that there's some of the best-known New Testament scholars that are saying what I'm saying. And I'm, they're not saying what I'm saying. I'm saying what they're saying, okay? Because they're the ones that educate me. And the first is a guy named Thomas Schreiner, and, and he says it this way. The desires of the flesh are not absent from believers. Okay, just because we're believers doesn't mean that we've been fully, completely redeemed from this flesh or sinful nature, that are not absent from believers, but threaten them constantly, okay? Nevertheless, believers are now able to conquer the flesh and its desires through the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They are opposed to each other. Okay, he goes on to say, speaking to the second part of this, nor is it unclear whether one is yielding to the flesh or to the spirit for one's life demonstrates whether the flesh or the spirit reigns. That's the purpose for the list. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Okay, so if we're in Christ, we still have this flesh. Okay, it's being redeemed. It's that's part of what it means to be sanctified, but it won't be fully redeemed until the day we're with Christ, okay? So this battle rages. You Remember, I said it all the time in Revelations. You want to know where the spiritual battlefield is? It's right here, okay? My sinful nature, the part that's opposed to God, and my redeemed nature, the part that's 
in Christ walking with the Spirit. And the battle is this, for me to walk more with the Spirit and have less of the flesh of the sinful nature. Okay? So, again, by walking in the Spirit, you cannot gratify the desires of the flesh because they're mutually exclusive. We say it around here a lot of times. People say, why don't you focus more on sin? We go, because you focus on sin, you're enslaved to sin. What Paul says about the law. As long as you're focused on the law, all you're going to do is you're going to sin because that's your focus. What you're focused on is that which you are making Lord of your life. So we focus on Jesus Christ, and we know Jesus Christ is incompatible with sin. So we focus on Jesus, we, we pursue Jesus, we make Jesus the, the total, full, complete master of our lives as much as, you know, as we can in that process of sanctification, and he will deal with the sin. And he deals with the sin how? What's the active agent of Jesus in us? The Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is sent, or sends, ascends, easy for me to say. So the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus Christ after Jesus Christ left. That's what Acts talks about. Acts talks about Pentecost. Jesus ascends in one. Holy Spirit comes in two at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus Christ through Jesus' followers in the church. Okay? And the Jesus' followers are the church. So when we say we focus on Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ then works through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works at the direction of the Father and the Son. He works in, and they are incompatible. God is always incompatible with sin. So as we focus more and more on Jesus, he does away with the sin in our lives. You have a sin problem. You have some problem with sin. The more you try to fight that problem of sin by yourself, the more you will lose. It's the same as keeping the law. It's the same thing Paul says. What we do is we get more focused on Jesus. Most people that are having a problem with sin aren't having the problem with sin. They're having a problem with Jesus. You know, it's the old marriage thing. If, if, there's a, if, if somebody's doing something they shouldn't do in the marriage, the problem is in the marriage, not in the thing, okay? Boy, that was obscure. I could have used more direct terms, but I think you can fill in the blanks. Go to the core of the issue. A sin problem is a Jesus problem. A sin problem is a problem in our relationship and our pursuit of Jesus. So that's what he's saying here. Okay? So he goes on. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Much debate there. There's an argument that is that being we want to sin because of our sinful nature. And that this Holy Spirit sanctification, redemption process takes us away from that. Um, that certainly is part of it. Then he says in 18, But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is kind of important. We've been talking about the law, and when we say the law, we mean the Mosaic law. 
And the law only does, it leads to sin, right? Because we no longer even have the atoning work of the, of the sacrificial system because Jesus has come and for once in an all atoned. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We have to get this equation right. It's important. We're, and, and this is the equation that's going to work through the rest of this passage. In fact, let's, let's turn to Romans right now. Let's go to, to Romans. Um, let's go to Romans 8. It's a little out of order what I was going to do, but let's just look at that. Starting with verse 9, or wholly and completely with verse 9. So Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. See how he's put opposed those two, put those against each other. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay? So if the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's opposed to your flesh. And here's the, the, the key sentence. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Okay? So get this equation. If we are in Christ, if we've been justified, we have the Holy Spirit. We cannot be justified if we don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? If we've been justified, we have the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we've never been justified. Okay? And if we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is opposed to the flesh. If we have been justified, we're going to have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be opposing, opposing our flesh. Okay? The flesh, the sinful nature, use of that term. It's going to be opposing our sin. Okay? That battle's going to be raging. If we don't Sense that battle, if we see no evidence of that battle, we see no evidence of what we're just about ready to read here, then we have to ask ourselves, hmm, do I have the Holy Spirit? And if I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not in Christ. If I'm not in Christ, I'm not justified. And I'm not, and somebody said, oh, are you going to try to unsave people? Okay, no, I'm not trying to unsave anybody. I'm just trying to, I, I worry less about people People not knowing they have the Holy Spirit. They don't really understand the power that is in them. The power of the Holy Spirit that is available to them, and, and not just available, it isn't like we go tap into it. That is, that is warring within us. Holy Spirit, sin, don't work. And what's our natural reaction? Oh, I'm going to not sin. That is not what this says. This says no don't worry about the sin. Turn to the Holy Spirit. Turn to the source of what the solution is, which is Jesus Christ. If you turn to sin, if you turn to the law, all you're going to do is, is be more enslaved to sin. Don't turn to the law. Don't turn to sin. Don't turn to trying to fix it. Turn to Christ because he is the only, only, only solution. You see that? So how are you just talking about? So then he's going to go on. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is no exhaustive list, obviously. It says things like these. We can find these lists all over the New Testament. You know, there's one in, at least one in Romans. There's a couple in Corinthians. There's a small one in, I mean, they're all over the place, okay? And the the problem is, we'll sit there and go, oh, okay, here it is. Here's the key. Look at this list and don't do it. That's the same as what? Trying to keep the law. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. He just went for four and a half chapters to say quit keeping the law. He gives you one list and instantly you're trying to make it a law. Come on. What this is, is evidence of the the flesh. He's giving us two lists to see that there is no question that it is totally and completely clear whether the flesh or the spirit is winning in our lives. In this battle that's raging. That's what the lists are. It's like somebody said to Paul, well, Paul, how do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? Whether I'm slave to the flesh. He says, well, here, let me give you a couple things. Is your life look like this? Boom, 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 boom. Or does it look like this? Bump, 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 bump. Oh. Yeah. Nowhere in he does it say, don't do this and do this. He says, no, this is the evidence this is how you examine your life. And the key here is he says, things like these, I warn you as I've warned you before that these, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Because they do those things? No, thank you, Tim. Dr. Tim has the answer. Why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Because they're doing them? No, because to do those means that the Spirit's not reigning in your life and the Spirit's not reigning in your life. You're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not justified and you're under the wrath of God. Got the equation? Now, I know nobody in here will walk at me afterwards. And somebody will, just as a joke. Say, Okay, uh, so can I have that list of things I'm not supposed to do again? But this is critical. This is how it works. We have to get this mechanism, and I sometimes use that term and kind of makes it sound like it's mechanical, but we've got to get this process down. We're under the wrath of God because we don't acknowledge God. Okay? But what he's talking about here is if you do these things, you're not going to hell because of that. You're just not going to be part of the kingdom of God because you obviously don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not in Christ. And the key is being in Christ. That's what we strive for. We can can plow all day long trying to be good people and not sinning. But that's exactly what the 
The Jews tried and they failed. It's exactly what Paul's talking about. Why are you trying to save yourself? Take the free gift of Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And when he comes into your life, then pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Do we know what pursuing Christ is? Getting to know Christ. Talking to Christ. Studying about Christ. Interacting with Christ. Inviting him in to show you, reveal himself, and reveal you to you areas in your life that he needs to work on. Sanctification is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. But he does all the heavy lifting because we can't do it. Our part is to avail ourselves or to pursue, however term you want to use it, Jesus Christ. Now, and again, I'm, I'm about to say something that could be misconstrued. I am not against a one-hour daily devotional, Okay? But if that's the sum total of what you think of walking with Christ is, I say, what about the other 23 day hours in a day? And I'll give you eight hours of sleep. What about the other 15 hours of the day? And you go, wait a minute. You want me to study? No, did I say study? Is pursuing Christ holy and completely reading? In everything you do, when you're at work, are you aware of Christ? Do you think of Christ? Do you think what, my, what Christ is trying to tell you? When you're in a situation, do you pray silently for guidance and direction by the Holy Spirit? Do you, do you walk by and have faith in Christ and feel the Holy Spirit moving and directing you? Do you know how to discern the voice of God in all the other voices in our head? I mean, there's all this. And it's hard to believe that half hour, an hour, once a day, and then we don't think about it for the rest of the day. Well, that isn't walking with Christ. That's doing a quick pit stop and saying, hey, Christ, give me a little something, and I'm going to go on with my day. And that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. It's going to go on. They won't inherit the kingdom of God, but... The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's nowhere in there says, but real believers do the following. Notice it doesn't say that. It says the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't the fruit of Tom. Okay? Here, the fruit of Tom. Let me give you. The fruit of Tom is. No. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does and accomplishes in me. This is not something I pursue. This isn't something I accomplish. This isn't something I work really hard to. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to, right now, I'm going to try to love you really hard, and I'm going to try to be really joyful. I'm going to give it my best effort right now. Oh, I couldn't do it. And in here, nowhere does it tell me to do that. In fact, it's presumptuous of me to think that I'm the Holy Spirit. Because it says, fruit of the Holy Spirit. I got this, Holy Spirit. Don't worry, I got it. I can do this myself. Right. 
Isn't that the whole problem in Galatians? Isn't that the whole issue that we've been dealing with in the whole study? This is something the Spirit brings about. What's our part? Our part is to pursue Christ. Our part is to to want, to desire Christ and desire the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To not be just okay with a little Christ or some some head knowledge or, or a mental assent to a bunch of propositional truths. I mean, somebody said to me this week, it was very powerful. Says, you know, I know all these things about the Holy Spirit, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I really don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, can, I can know, again, I've used this metaphor many times. I could read up on one of you and read a bio and Google and get all this information, but, but I may not know you, especially if I've never met you. I mean, I can, I can find out all kinds of stuff about Bill Gates. I can study. I could probably write a 15-page paper on Bill Gates. I don't know Bill Gates, and I don't know anything about him. And really, at the end of the day, I'm not going to know him any better after I write that 15-page paper than I did before. Yet sometimes that's how we approach Christ. We, we learn about him, but we don't know him. And, and I don't know about you, but when, when Paul says over and over and over again to be in Christ, somehow the term in Christ doesn't sound like from a distance knowing about him. Somehow there's an intimacy to being in Christ. Or as Christ says in the Gospel of John, abiding in him. Abiding in him? I mean, that just freaks us out, right? How do I abide in someone? But that's what we're called to do. It's, it's so critical that we understand our part. Doug, Doug Moo says it um, this way. He's talking about Paul here. His purpose in this verse, and he, he's talking about the verse we just covered a couple of minutes ago, in this verse is to remind believers of the warfare between the powers that is ultimately determinative of this relationship, the warfare between the spirit and the flesh. Christians should not think they have the choice to do whatever they want, okay? This idea of, oh, I shouldn't do this, I should do this, okay? Or the idea that I'm somewhere stuck in the middle. Whether conscious of it or not, their actions, the action of the Christian, at every point are governed by either the flesh or the spirit. People all the time say, well, I don't know if I want to give up my freedom. Really? Really? What freedom do you have? You have freedom to make choices, value decisions, but you think you have freedom? Okay, I tell you what, just don't sin for the next two days. Show me your freedom. Don't sin. Well, I can't. Well, I thought you said you had freedom. Like, I, I can't not sin. Well, then, then what's the problem? 
Well, I can't. Well, what does that tell you? Well, I can't. You can't say it, can you? Does it tell you you're enslaved? And if you're enslaved now when you think you're free and you're worried about being enslaved to Christ when you're not even free now, and yeah, let's just, let's be real. Let's get rid of this freedom myth. We're enslaved. We have to decide, are we going to be enslaved to the flesh, to sin? Or are we going to be enslaved to Christ, the Spirit? You just got to choose your master. And, and the challenge is what? We have to choose our master every day. This isn't a one and done deal. It just isn't. I'm not talking about justification. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit. Each day. And, and we got to also be clear that a day of failure is, is just that, a day of failure. Using a basketball analogy, the Sixers got blown out last night by, by the Milwaukee Bucks. And one of the best young coach, Brad Stevens, they said, well, your team just got blown out. And he goes, yeah, it's one game. We won a road game. We go home win two games at home, and we're up 3-1, and we're going to take this series. It's one game. Remember, every day is just one day. You have a bad day? You, 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 you have more of the flesh that day than the spirit? Take it for what it is, one day. You wake up the next day, and you pursue Christ. You embrace the Spirit. Don't ever let Satan tell you that a day or a week is more than just that. It's not the totality of your relationship with Christ. It does not speak to completely and wholly who you are. We all struggle. We all struggle in our walk. As I've said many times, the the walk of a Christian looks like a sine wave. It's certainly not a linear, straight, sloped line. There's ups and downs. And, and look at the Bible. It's the way it is with all the biblical characters, right? We don't have to go any further than Peter. So don't let Satan blow anything out of proportion here. And I've said many times, if you feel shame, that's of Satan. And be able to discern shame from the convicting guilt of the Holy Spirit is critical. Satan wants to tell you you're not good enough. That the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power. That you have to do it yourself and you can't do it. He's half right. You can't do it. But you don't do it yourself. And we already know that God has already defeated Satan. So it's just a lie. Don't substitute the law of Moses with the writings of Jesus. Ben, a couple weeks ago, asked that question. And it's so easy to do that. Okay, the Mosaic law is fulfilled by Jesus, so we'll take the Mosaic law, put it aside, and so now I have to keep all this. 
No, what you have to keep are your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. That's what's key for us. That's what allows us to inherit the kingdom of God. Anything short of that? We're just trying to save ourselves. So he says, for the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know that law you're trying to keep? These things, these things that are holy and come from the Holy Spirit, there's no list of do's and don'ts that'll get you there. No list of do's and don'ts. Again, Thomas Schreiner, good works are not the basis of justification, but they are most certainly, though still imperfect and partial, a consequence of justification. You want to know where you're at? People ask me all the time, how do I know if I'm saved? I said, well, what does your life look like? Well, I'm not perfect. I didn't ask that. Does your life look any different today than it did before you came to Christ? Well, yeah, I I go to church now. Okay, so you, you want the things of God. Okay, what else? Well, that's about it. I said, well, let's talk about what other ways might you desire Christ and come to know Christ. See, the problem is what Satan wants to do is say, so you go to church and that's it. I mean, you came to Christ two and a half years ago and all you're doing is going to church. What a loser. Are you kidding me? For some people, that's a monumental step. I know for me personally, it was huge. I sat in that church and said, this is the stupidest place. I don't know why I'm here. And they're not, and they're doing things that I don't understand. And why? Okay, fine. Whew. Okay. Guess we'll come back next week. See how it goes. It, it, it can't be the end all be all. But don't ever scoff. Of that, of the power of that as a beginning. To relationship with Christ. Do you pray? Well, I don't really pray. I just talk to God. Oh, okay. You pray then. No, praying is what you guys do on Sunday, and then, you know, you say these magic words, and it's all like that. I go, no, 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 no. Praying is talking to God. Oh, I talk to God all the time. I really need his help. There you go. You go to church, and you're praying. Do you read the Bible? I don't really understand. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we might approach the Bible. See, that's walking in the Spirit. We don't leap ahead in the Spirit. We don't, like, arrive somewhere. Somehow we get confused. And some people say, yeah, okay, he's coming to church, but let me tell you all the things he or she are doing that's wrong. Okay, I'm just going to stand back, just in case the Holy Spirit decides to do a corrective moment for that individual at that moment. Wow. 
Let's see what the Holy Spirit's doing. Let's not focus quite on the shortcomings yet. How do we encourage? How do we see evidence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life? And, and quite frankly, let's be honest. About the time we say, yeah, but let me tell you about these other things. Hmm. Where are we at on these lists? I think we're on the wrong side. I think that's our flesh working in us. Doing the work of Satan. Trying to discourage a brother and sister in Christ. Or maybe just getting started. Hmm. It ends in 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The biggest challenge in this walking in the Spirit is on the front end. The key to crucifying, being crucified with Christ, is that dying part. You see, we, we, we die, and then Christ is raised. And that dying is the crucifying of the flesh, crucifying our fallen agenda, crucifying our desires, the things we want that are part of the fall coming to us in our flesh. And, and I'm going to argue that walking in the Spirit those subsequent steps are often a whole lot easier than those first set of steps when we have to learn to die to self. We're tough to kill. We just really are tough to kill. And we don't do the killing, but we can sure defend ourselves against the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The Holy Spirit's trying to crucify us so that we can be raised in Christ. But we're at battle with him trying to hang on to our fallen selves. The analogy I've used many times, and, and I used to apologize for being redundant, but I've since learned that it's okay. You're in a sailboat. It's got an irreparable hole in it. It's sinking. You're in the middle of the ocean. And your topside hanging out of the mast for all it's worth. It's a little stormy. Ship's clearly taken on water. And amazingly, here comes the Coast Guard. Comes right up alongside. And they say, we're here to rescue you. Okay? Mr. Wigan, just let go of that mask. And just step over into our boat here. Except I can't let go. That ship is going down and it's taking me with it. But I have learned to depend on it and I can't seem to let go. I mentally understand that the Coast Guard is my only hope 
is my only way to safety, is my rescuer, will save my very life, but I some reason cannot let go of this ship that's bringing me down so that I can brace salvation in that Coast Guard cutter. And that's the way it is. We know hanging on to this fallen self that we have will cause us to die but it's so hard to let go and embrace the life and safety and freedom and peace and salvation that Christ offers and that letting go is something we have to do every day because we let go a little bit at a time as we embrace the new life that Jesus offers. Let's grab our Bibles and go to our discussion groups.